Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. everybody. Hi, Hi Dr. Dr. Nick. <laughs> yes, hello everybody and it's Dr. Nick here again. Welcome to Radiotherapy live online and on podcast. Uh, yesterday I was asked in an interview to describe the current experience in Victoria in three words, but um, I could only manage to knuckle down. You see, I've learned something from the discussion we had last time when, we, when I was on air. We, uh, we talked then about the philosophical principle of Stoicism. And stoically, next door, we have the indomitable Panel Beater. Hi, Panel Beater. <laughs> stoically, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish. Yes, well, even through several layers of glass and impressive beard, I can see a beaming smile. Are stoics allowed to smile, PB? Oh, of course they are. Yeah, yeah, there's a misconception, like, well, in the, in the philosophical sense of stoicism, that, you know, it's, it's often just um, uh, relatively lazily associated with stiff upper lip, but it's much more than that. You see, I find it very hard to smile with a stiff upper lip. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, I'm delighted to hear that we can be stoic and smiling at the same time. So joining us by phone soon, we'll have Radiotherapy's regulars, Prudence Deer, who will be looking at how virtual therapy compares with face-to-face. Uh, around half past ten, we've, we've actually got a very special segment for you. Uh, in what might well be a radio first, Rainbow Doc will be leading us through a live mindful, mindfulness session on air. I can't wait for that. Uh, and if that isn't enough, misdiagnosis is going to take us back to the front line and with some of the lighter moments of COVID. Thank goodness there are some lighter moments to be had. Uh, but before we get to them, we've got some news. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. So, uh, Panel Beater, um, I thought today we would try and get away from COVID news, which seems to be all around us, because there's a lovely piece of news coming out of West Australia, (laughs) which is about honey. Oh, yeah, good to see you too, sweetie. (laughs) Honey to me is a little bit like kittens. I mean, everybody likes kittens, everybody likes honey. And what I loved about this is is this is a trial being done at the Perth Children's Hospital using honey for helping kids after they've had their tonsils removed. And uh, what a lovely idea. Take something like honey and see if Mm. it works. And I'm sure you'd be well aware. I mean, honey has a huge history in medicine of being used for all sorts of things. Uh, you probably use it yourself, do you, for various home remedies? I'm a uh, yes, I have done in the past. I'm a I'm a maple syrup eater. I'm not I'm not <laughs> when I go for my my sweetener, but um, yeah, but honey, yeah, it's certainly got something uh, going on for it, hasn't it? Well, th- this this is a trial run by the, a consultant anaesthetist in WA, and just her name makes me feel better. I mean, any trial run by Professor Britta Regli von Ungern Sternberg. Easy for you to say. Now, 
isn't that a name? I mean, I feel better just knowing that that person is in charge of the trial. Um, and they're looking at uh, using honey versus placebo uh, in helping kids who've had their tonsils removed. Now, uh, the only problem, of course, is with COVID having come around, uh, they're not taking any tonsils out. Uh, but I just love this idea that um, honey might help kids. And they, what do you think you'd use as a placebo? A placebo? Oh, uh, Pretty hard, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, how, do, how do you fake up honey anyway? They've got some sort of sweet junk that they're going to use instead. Maple syrup. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the one. Um, honey, as you know, I mean, the reason we're doing this is because uh, honey has this long history as an antibacterial, anti-inflammatory and um, antioxidant kind of properties. I, the, uh, the Egyptians used to use it. They used to slap it on wounds and so on and thought that it healed things up better. So, Dr. Nick, you're, I guess what you're saying is that honey is actually being used um, as much for the, the relief and the comfort as it is the therapeutic response. Is that what's going on? Whereas, say, the ice cream, which is the conventional, uh, go-to for children and tonsils um, or sore throats. Yeah. That's, that's simply a comfort. It's obviously got no therapeutic property. I, I, I completely disagree with the concept that ice cream <laughs> is not therapeutic. <laughs> that's it. I take it entirely for medicinal purposes. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right, Panel Beta. The, um, uh, they're actually looking at two different kinds of honey, Manuka honey and Mari honey, uh, both of which are produced in West Australia. And the reason they're looking at different kinds is because different honeys have different levels of antibacterial, anti-inflammatory and... Um, uh, antioxidant properties and they're looking at which of these may be helpful uh, obviously in terms of healing both the anti-inflammatory and the um, antibacterial may be useful anyway I think it's just a, a lovely idea and I think the idea that over in WA you can have honey after your surgery makes me feel better already hey Dr Nick what is the prevalence of um, tonsillitis and therefore and then the extraction of the tonsils these days is yeah, that, I gather it's changed over time right yeah that is an absolutely spot-on question because we used to rip out the tonsils left, right and centre. You just had to have a sore throat and your tonsils were gone back in the 60s and 70s. And then there was a lot of research that showed that taking tonsils out of kids actually wasn't a great idea and didn't necessarily help that much. Um, we still do around about 40,000 tonsillectomies per year in Australia. So it's still a fair number, but it's way down from what we used to do. Wow. So poor, all, all those poor ENT surgeons who went out of work taking tonsils out, they had to uh, take their <laughs> turn sticking ventilation tubes in kids' ears for their recurrent otitis media instead. Right. Uh, but don't tell them I said that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and just uh, before we wrap that one up there, Dr. Nick, so you were saying that there's no um, tonsillectomies taking place during COVID? Well, routine surgery, of course, has been yep. reduced to an absolute minimum. And um, tonsillectomy isn't done because you've got tonsillitis it's done because you've had recurrent episodes and there may be other reasons why kids need tonsils taken out such right, as yep, yep. recurrent ear infections but these are more seen as more routine bits of surgery rather than urgent bits of surgery sure so yes they're all on hold but anyway if you've if you're over in wa listening to us on triple r online um then when your child needs their tonsillectomy make sure you get it done the perth children's hospital take part in this trial so you can see whether honey really is helpful Lovely. Um, we'll be back after the break with um, Prudence, dear, uh, and she's going to be talking to us about the experience of providing um, therapy uh, virtually, so teletherapy as opposed to face-to-face. -face. We'll be having a look at what that experience is like and what the evidence shows right after these messages. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. 
Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. And uh, yeah, Radiothon coming up next week, so um, remember that you're listening to us because you love us. And so next week you get a chance not just to resubscribe, but to win lots of fabulous prizes. Uh, don't forget about that next week, Radiothon. But on the phone now, hopefully we have our resident scientist and psychotherapist, Prudence dear. Hi, Prudence. Hi, Dr. Nick. How are you today? Well, I'm sparkling, thank you very much. And uh, I'm loving being here in the Triple R studio, just not loving not having you here in person, face to face. I do miss that. I mean, the one thing that's fortunately about even doing it this way is that I do actually know what day of the week it is. Radiotherapy does tell me that it is, in fact, Sunday. Because I can't tell the rest of the days a week apart anymore. I don't know about you. <laughs> and uh, are you still in your gym jams, or do you get dressed up all smartly like you do oh, when you come no, to the I've studio? I spruce myself up, absolutely, yes. Now, you've got to make the effort, I think, actually, just to, again, to break up the day. And uh, I think, you know, it just kind of gives you a, it gives me a bit of a boost, make but a bit of effort. Yeah. N- nothing, by, nothing like a nice lippy to put a smile on your face and in the sound absolutely, of your voice. Absolutely, yeah, you know, <laughs> spruce up the, the face and the hair. That's the way to go, Dr. Now, now, Prudence, for for the listeners who don't know, um, you're a real polymath. You've done everything over your time, but uh, your work now mainly is as a psychotherapist, uh, which, of course, involves talking to people, which is a bit hard to do when you can't do this. So tell us, uh, talk talk us through how this is going. Uh, Well, obviously, look, you know, it's become a kind of a big thing. I think almost anybody at the moment who is accessing sort of mental health care services will probably be doing it online. I mean, that's just the way it is at the moment. And I would like to point out, I think it's really worth, that our very generous Commonwealth Government, for those of you who are getting Medicare-funded mental health care sessions, like with a psychologist, um, uh, through a mental health treatment plan, which you get from your GP, which has been 10 sessions a year, due to the COVID situation, has actually now been increased by further 10 sessions. So people can get up to 20 sessions per year, which, you know, if you've been trying to eke out your 10 sessions um, and things are pretty tough and you're very stressed, um, obviously it's been a bit problematic. So it's important people do know that they can access more help, more paid-for help from the, from the government. So see your GP about that one. Thank you. Thank you, Prudence, a really, really important people, a thing to remind people about because it only came in a couple yeah. of weeks ago. And people, right. not everybody does know about this. Some people have finished their sessions with their psychologist yeah, or mental health can, provider. Yeah, they can go back and get some more. Or, as I say, if you're eking them out because you're thinking, oh, I've only got three sessions to the end of the year. So it's almost like you could have one every two weeks, just about. So go for it. <laughs> go for it. Anyway, <laughs> but it will almost certainly be online as well. So... Um, and I guess, you know, yeah, we're doing it this way, but I was starting to have a bit of a look at it. It was like, well, do we know if it's any better or any worse than face-to-face? And, and um, obviously there's not a huge amount of research like in the last couple of months because it's too early to get that stuff published. But when I started to have a look around, and I couldn't realise actually there's, there's quite a lot of information that goes back a long time. When I first started, even in any of this sort of business, when I have to admit was in the 1970s and perhaps a bit the late 1970s, um, I worked on it. I was a volunteer on a suicide help phone line of course which is all telephone yeah yeah well all telephone or letters actually people would write letters to their psychologists if they couldn't see them but you know we did have crisis services very much done on the phone so there was even you know 40 years ago there was alternatives to -to face-to-face but really since the internet came in i think you know things have shifted there was a shift into using email and uh, obviously more recently, like now, we're wholesale use of Zoom and Skype video conferencing. 
Hang on, just Thanks. pause for a second there. You saying people were doing therapy on email? Yes, yes, emails back in the early two thousands. You know, wow. um, people would would. I mean, say if you were living remotely, um, you couldn't access, you couldn't visit. I mean, I, I even today. I mean, I've had clients, for example, who come to see me from Mildura. It takes a day on public transport to get to Melbourne, and another day to get home. So you have to stay overnight. And I know people who live in the Northern Territory where it is a two-day trip to get to see your therapist or your doctor. You know, it takes four days. So That's a, that's know, a real commitment to therapy, you. isn't it? If you, if you is. do a four-day trip for a one-hour or 50-minute session. Now, if we go back 50 years where, you know, perhaps, you know, it, 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 you know, access to transport was even less in some places. So, yeah, absolutely. Using other means was, was very much necessary. And as it is now, really. But we are now running um, sort of peer support groups and facilitated therapeutic groups on on Zoom or on Skype. Okay, so um, let's, so let's yeah. get to the pointy end then. What, what, what did your researchers discover? What's the evidence about how well this is working on the Right. Well, overall, I mean, so they do, there's various sorts of studies and something that actually works quite well is to look at cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, the reason for that is it's quite easy to sort of like uh, manualize it. You, you, can method, you can write a methodology and say, you know, this is what you're going to do with your clients and this is how we're going to measure results. And, for example, there have been studies on anxiety, depression, and things like eating disorders. And um, what the studies tend to show is that when they take, if you take a group of people with an eating disorder like, um, um, like bulimia, um, they divided them up into two groups. One group had face-to-face -face sessions every week for 16 weeks, and another group had online sessions for the same length of time. And when they do the follow-ups afterwards at three months and 12 months, what they basically find is, well, generally there's an overall improvement, which is great, but actually they couldn't really tell the difference between the groups who'd had face-to-face -face work and groups who had online. So, you know, it's comparable, certainly for certain types of approaches. Um, it seems to actually work, and it's quite difficult to find an obvious difference between those who are actually getting it um, online. So, and, and I think, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Prudence, but uh, yeah. you've used a specific example of cognitive yeah. behavioural therapy, CBT, yeah. which is one of the sort of mm. best known, I suppose, psychological therapies, partly because it's one of the best researched, yeah. um, which, as you say, can be manualised, that awful word, which is that you can yeah. kind of write it down and then, yeah. I mean, I remember giving out the book about CBT to mm. people because it was written down in a book. And, yeah, I know. Uh, um, but, but, of course, that's not the only form of psychological therapy. There are plenty of other therapies, Absolutely narrative therapies, not. interpersonal yeah. therapies, psychodynamic therapies. Do you know if there's you any evidence them. about providing other forms of therapy virtually as opposed to face-to-face? -to -face? Yeah, look, I mean, again, there's, there's been work done on that, and it's perhaps looked at things like, I mean, one of the important, I mean, you probably can't really do, like, sand play therapy very well on the internet. No, but, that'd be pretty hard, know, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, um, you know, in the broad sense, one of the things that we really look for is, like, what the connection is between the therapist and the client. You know, this therapeutic relationship is the thing that's often cited and, you know, is very important. Um, so looking at how well people form those relationships, it's, it's a little bit mixed in terms of how you measure that, um, it may not be as effective in terms of getting that close, you know, strong kind of bond between the therapist and the client that is often has a very great therapeutic value. But that said, what we do see, though, is that um, online therapy is, again, you know, we spoke about travel. It makes it accessible. And people turn up 
to online therapy, their punctuality and their attendance is much better than it is face-to-face. And I've seen this since going online. Like, my clients are always on, they always turn up. You know, and they're virtually never late. Whereas face to face, you know, they've got to travel. They may have, let's for example, people may have, um, you know, they may have anxiety. They may have disabilities. They may have financial constraints, which actually makes it difficult to physically travel to the clinic and home again. Um, so they actually turn up more frequently and more regularly to their sessions. So overall, the 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 effect is probably equal in the sense that they're getting they're getting the service that they actually need. And I've heard. So- stories from other therapists about people uh, logging onto their therapist when they're out walking the dog or sitting on a park bench that sort of Mm. thing have you had that experience yeah Yeah, i've had people sitting in their gardens and doing so i mean they can find their own safe space for having um you know for where they want to do their therapy again this could be a problem if you live in a if you live in a share house and you don't have much private space it can be difficult to be both as a as a therapist and as a client right you might not be able to find the private space so that's part of that could be a problem but for many clients why wouldn't sitting in the park be a good a place as any to do their therapy as opposed to traveling on the tram um, and sitting in a rather clinical you know in a clinic in a room that really isn't isn't their space so it kind of creates that equality between therapist and client which perhaps doesn't always exist otherwise. So a couple of questions then. Um, There's one thing about continuing therapy with a therapist you've met face-to-face and then Mm -hmm. moving to virtual. What about someone who's never met their particular therapist before, people who are looking for help and starting off? Is there any evidence or is there any personal experience about what it's like trying to do this now? When And and do you actually try and do a face-to-face as at least a one-off? What's the story here with new patients? New patients, well, well I've, I've, I have overseas patients, so I have never met them face-to-face, and it's definitely worked. Um, and same at the, in the current climate, I've got a number of, obviously I've started with new clients in the last few months, and I have not met them face-to-face. Look, it's, you know, sometimes it's a bit easier to build a rapport than others, um, but I think that's, that's a, a requirement. You know, that's what we expect. I expect from a, a from a practitioner, from a therapist, we have to have different ways of engaging with people. You know, you know, trying to create that connection. I think over time we probably get better at it. It's something we just need to practice a bit more and not be put off by the fact that the person isn't sitting there in front of us. It's, it's, we have to tune into some different cues as well. We don't have all the visual cues that we might have had. You know, because even when you're doing video conferencing, I'm sure you've noticed people are looking at a different part of the screen. They're not looking into the camera, so the eye contact is somewhat different. Um, you might not be able to see if the tears are welling up in their eyes, which, you know, can you, can you detect it in other ways? Can you see the slump of their shoulder or the way their head angle is and so on? So it's, it's kind of tuning in. The practitioner needs to tune in to their client in a slightly different way. And a couple of questions, if I may. Um, One study I looked at um, suggested that when they looked at the interaction between therapist and client um, virtually, two differences that were noted. One was that there was less introductory chit-chat, and the second was that the therapist actually in virtual therapy seemed to talk more than in face-to-face therapy. Do you have any comments about that particular study outcome? 
Um, look, um, uh, yeah, look, I think uh, we, we do tend to perhaps get into it a bit quicker. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good point. Um, does the therapist talk more? Yes, I think we do, because, again, it's about kind of maintaining that sort of and, and building that rapport needs us to perhaps just lead a bit more sometimes. I mean, you've got to sense it with the client. But, I'm, you know, you know here I am. I can't stop talking anyway. And, and I sometimes, do, I do shut up. And sometimes I, when we feel we need to talk more, we don't actually. Panel Dieter's got a question yes. for you, Prince. Please, it's, it's yeah, yeah, lovely to hear from you. I love, always love hearing from you, Prudence. Um, Thank you. Uh, do you happen to know about the ELISA effect or the ELISA computer therapy program? The one that was um, that would uh, be kind of bit, bit like Siri or something. It actually answers your questions. But it's all pre-programmed. That's it. A computer scientist mm. in the '60s, Joseph yeah. Weizenbaum, he developed it, and yeah. um, and. He was, he was actually, his hypothesis was to demonstrate the importance of human-to-human interaction and not yeah. human-to-machine, but it turned out <laughs> to have the other effect. And this is early programming. And, the, uh, yeah. and the, uh, so what would happen is the, the patient would just type in their concern into the, yeah. into the computer and the computer would effectively repeat it back to them. You know, what we would probably yeah. call in therapy now active listening. Yep. And um, yeah, and people started to anthropomorphise their relationship with uh, the computer, and it's become known as the Eliza no, effect. Okay. You're not going to lose your jobs as therapists, are you? No, I don't think so. Because you, well, you just said it is actually people typing into the computer. I mean, we didn't really discuss the fact that there are quite a lot of people, especially younger people, who actually like to text their therapist. <clears throat> right? You know, they'll do have a text chat. Um, they can access that sort of any time, day or night, you know, and a bit like a, a bit like a, a crisis phone line. But <clears throat> not just doing it on SMS or text chat. It must be so, an absolute nightmare for the poor teenager who's doing this because the therapist is so clumsy replying. Well, probably. I mean, again, I guess I think that's where we need training, and that's probably probably going to be an area for for the the younger therapists who are just qualifying now. They're probably going to be the ones who are going to be best at doing text therapy. And I think one of the things that comes from this that I'm hearing is that we know there's been a huge upsurge in, in mental health concerns. A lot of people have been contacting us in primary care, mm-hmm. wanting referrals to people and a bit uncertain about how this process works, particularly with COVID and so on. If I'm hearing you correctly, we can actually reassure people that if they need help, despite the fact that it is different in this virtual world, it's working mm-hmm. and there are actually aspects which... Are an advantage this fact that people don't have to travel; they can do it in any way. And and sometimes yeah. my experience has been people not actually sitting in the room face to face find some things easier to talk about. Have Have you found Absolutely. that as well? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think there's less inhibition. They feel they're in their own surroundings. They feel safer. Um, so uh, yes, in a lot of ways, I think it uh, you do kind of build the relationship in some cases much quicker. Yeah, it's great. So it, uh, we'll end on a positive note with you then, Prudence, to, yeah. to, to encourage people that if listening to this they've been uncertain about seeking help, uh, don't hesitate yeah. to talk to your um, health practitioner. Um, Absolutely. And, and how would you recommend if someone's looking for the kind of help that we're talking about here, mm-hmm. uh, what are the sorts of avenues that people have no idea where to go? Where should they start? 
Oh, you could always, well, you obviously start with a GP because your GP may well be able to give you good referrals. Thank you. you could, if you don't mind, asking your friends um, if, if they're prepared to talk about those sorts of things. And then, I mean, look, you know, the, the internet's pretty good. There are some pretty good, you know, websites. You've got, your, you know, Beyond Blue. You've got places like Switchboard and stuff. You could phone them up and ask them about where to find some good sort of clients. And then there are some great directories directories on uh, on the internet, Australian-run ones, um, where you can find therapists, for example, lists of therapists in Melbourne. Yeah, and, and let's let's just remind listeners that what uh, Prudence started off saying with helplines, if it has raised any concerns for you immediately, and yeah. you want some immediate help, Lifeline is one three double one one four. That's Lifeline on 131114 if you have any immediate concerns. Prudence, thank yeah. you very much indeed. That's been absolutely fascinating. You take care. Always, always lovely to talk to you, Dr. Nick and TB. I look have, forward to I'll having I'll you back soon. I'll listen to the rest soon. of the show. I'll listen to the rest of the show now. All right. It's a mindfulness. <laughs> that, that was Prudence Steered. That was just fabulous. Thank you very much. Now, shortly, I'll be talking to Rainbow Doc. And as Prudence just mentioned there, uh, for those who are listening who would like to give it a try, um, when we come back on, uh, Rainbow Doc will be leading you through a 10-minute exercise in mindfulness. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Hello, how are you, Dr Nick? I'm very well and lovely to hear your voice, Rainbow. How are you? I'm really well, but I wish I was there. I'm listening to you guys and hearing this... Really kind of, you're loving each other up. That piece of music was terribly smoochy and kind of sensual for this time in the morning on Radiotherapy, Dr. Nick. What's going on? Oh, I can do a bit of sensuality before midday on a Sunday. No problem at all. Ah, good to see you, sweetie, said <laughs> Panel Dita. Prudence, dear, missing you both from afar? <laughs> and, and it's one of those things, isn't it? We just talked about how virtual therapy can be very effective and in many ways as effective as face-to-face, but I'm not sure that virtual radio uh, feels as good as face-to-face and we lose that intimacy, that immediate interaction. But still, it's lovely to have you on the telephone. And Tell us, um, you've been thinking about mindfulness a lot. Before we go further, tell us just a little bit about mindfulness, why it's important and why you think we should be thinking about it. Well, mindfulness is kind of in at the moment, I guess. Um, Lots of people talking about mindfulness and uh, mindfulness right now for us can have enormous benefits. Um, You know, we're all worrying There's a lot to worry about at the moment, you know, on a local level, within our houses, what's going on in our homes, what's going on in our relationships, what's going on on a global level. You know, there is a lot to worry about, and we're probably all thinking way too much. You know, we're all in our heads worrying about the the figures, how long this is going to be going on. I'm not going to go on because I'm obviously going to be... um, uh, you know, evoking more more worry. <laughs> but, you're, but, but you're right, aren't you? I mean, everyone's worried. Mindfulness, I mean, it's not just a good idea. It's a proven modality, isn't it? It is a proven modality. It's evidence-based. Um, 
and and it's used mainly for anxiety uh, in a therapeutic sense, you know, in the therapy room for people who are experiencing anxiety. Because anxiety is future-oriented. Worry is future-oriented. It's about what might happen, the ifs, you know, and the when will it happen, will it happen kind of thing. And mindfulness is a practice to bring us back into the present. So if we are in the present, if we are aware of what is going on right now, right here, right now, our minds can't be in the future worrying. So it's kind of a, you know, you could call it a distraction from that future-oriented um, way of being, but bringing us back to our present, present, the present, and using our bodies in order to do that. And in just a moment, you're going to take us through uh, an exercise in mindfulness. Before we do, is, just very quickly, is, is mindfulness just Buddhism light? Is, it, is that all it is? Um, well, that's where it's come from. And, you know, it was John Kabat-Zinn who first kind of um, used, um, you know, a, a Buddhist approach, a, a meditation approach, and brought it into the field of psychotherapy, I guess. Um, so it is and it isn't. I mean, um, we're not talking about, you know, there's this idea of um, having to clear your mind, mm-hmm. right? to empty your mind of all thought, which I think um, when people approach it in that way, it's kind of counterproductive because that's a really hard thing to do. Um, the process of mindfulness that we tend to use is, is rather than, uh, you know, try and empty your mind, to engage in a practice which occupies us and refocuses our mind. So it's an active thing. It's not passive. It's an active exercise. Okay, well, let's, gonna... let's stop talking about it and let's just talk. Let's just go on and do it, shall you? So, I mean, for those of you listening who are keen to give this a try, um, we're now going to have a, an on-air session of mindfulness. So maybe put down the newspapers, stop doing the washing up, turn off the radio. Oh, no, hang on, don't do that. Um, uh, do you want to do the intro and take us through this then, Rainbow? Yeah, and I'm sure that there are people, there will be two types of people listening probably, those that have already given this a go and those that have, and, and, and are going, oh, yeah, this will be great, and others who say, I, I can't do this or I don't want to do it or I've tried and it doesn't work. I encourage everyone to, to just have a go. So, yes, put down your newspaper, um, get other people. If you've got other people around you, see if they will do this too. And I suggest it's up to you how you position yourself whether you want to lie down on the floor, lie down on the couch, on a bed, whether you want to sit cross-legged, if you're practiced at doing that, or sit in a chair. And get yourself comfortable. Just look around. Where is a comfortable place to be? Now, we're not looking for an outcome here. This is about the process of actually doing it. So there's no gold stars if you manage to, you know, reach a, a zen state if you manage to clear your mind of thought. There's no, there's no achieving here. If you want the achieving is in actually just doing it. So, Dr. Nick, get your feet flat on the f- floor. Panel beater, feet flat on the floor. Prudence, dear, feet flat on the floor. I don't know who else is listening, but I know you three are. And see if you can just push down into the floor a little bit. Do it with your hands if you're lying down. Just push into the floor and let go. 
and notice that sensation you have in the palms of your hand or in the soles of your feet. Just put your focus there. Bring your focus to whatever other part of your body is touching the ground or the chair. Just notice that contact. Notice that the nerve endings are activated by that contact. And if you put your focus there, you can feel it. If you're sitting in a chair, notice the back of the chair against your back. If you're lying, notice the floor under your back. And notice your breathing. Now, you may have already closed your eyes. If you haven't, I invite you to close your eyes. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, just keep a soft gaze down in front of you, ahead of you. There's no need to close your eyes. Closing your eyes intensifies this practice. And if it feels a little bit scary, keep your eyes open. Take a deep breath. Fill up your lungs. Hold the air there for a moment and then let it out slowly, deliberately slowly. Push all the air out. Pause at the base. Pause when the air is out and then fill up your lungs again deliberately. Pause when your lungs are full and breathe it out. And then just let your breathing go. Let your breathing go, having connected with your breathing. Just see if you can step back from it and just watch it. Notice the movement of your chest, your stomach, as the air goes in through your nostrils and out through your nostrils. And just watch this. Being aware of the stillness of your body. Watching the breath in through your nostrils, out through your nostrils. And see if you can keep your focus on your breath. Your body may want to move. If you notice your body wants to move, if you've got an itch, it's okay. If you just, just let, just let that happen. It's okay. And then come back to the task of watching your breath, of being still. You may notice thoughts popping into your mind. That's okay. That's what your mind is designed to do. So that's okay. But when you notice that, turn your attention away from that. It can wait. And refocus on your breath. The breath going in through your nostrils, out through your nostrils, and the movement of your torso. Wherever you notice that movement, it may be in your back as your lungs 
fill up and then empty. And if you're finding yourself constantly distracted, that's okay. Remember, this is about doing it, the practice of it. There isn't a doing it well or doing it badly. It's just about doing it. So every time you're distracted, just come back to your stillness. might like to check in with the contact you have with the floor again. Just, just notice that. To ground yourself, then come back to your breathing. Your breath in and your breath out. As you're doing this, bring your awareness to the walls, the four walls around you, or whatever is around you, knowing where you are, and that you can be still in this space, noticing your breath going in through your nostrils, and out through your nostrils. When you're distracted, just come back to the task rather than berating yourself for not being able to do it or some other story like that that you're telling yourself it doesn't matter that you're distracted it's just an opportunity to notice that and come back to the task of following your breath into your body and out of your body If you fidget, that's okay. Come back to your breath. And I'd like to bring in here what you can hear. Notice the sounds around you, whether they're from the building that you're in, whether they're from outside, whether they're from your own body. Just notice the sounds and for a moment, put your focus on the sounds around you. There may be a constant kind of 
background sound. Just notice that. And then there are little sound events that drop into it, including my voice. Notice when those sounds come in and when they disappear and the silence that they leave once they've gone. And come back to your breath. Notice your breath. The movement of your body. And I invite you to take one deliberate big breath again. Fill up your lungs. Hold the breath there. And as you breathe out, just wiggle your toes, wiggle your feet. Move your shoulders. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Bring your attention back to the room. Look around you. And just check in with your body. Check in with how you feel right now. Having engaged in this practice. There's no need to move straight away. Just stay in that position. Just notice how you feel. And if you feel distressed, because sometimes doing this can bring up emotions, can bring up feelings that we've been kind of fighting or pushing down. So if there is that sense, just be kind to yourself. Notice that happening. And come back to your breath. Make sure that you're breathing. Allow that emotion to be there. Dr. Nick, how are you? That rainbow was just beautiful. Um, it's a slightly uh, disconcerting experience to be sitting in a radio studio doing a live show and feeling like I'm just in this very gentle, very relaxed space. Um, sadly, I look at the clock and think, oh, wow, I should have been keeping an eye on that. <laughs> but uh, that was. That, uh, thank you so much for that demonstration. I, I hope uh, others listening uh, enjoyed that. For those who came in halfway through, that was an on-air uh, 10 minutes of mindfulness to give people a sense of what that practice involves and what the benefits might come from it. Just very quickly, Rainbow, because we have to move on, just very quickly, if this is something people want to explore further, if they found it helpful, would like more information or to get some help with it, where do they go? There are many, many apps and YouTube, um, you know, guided meditation, mindfulness. You can just put in your, you know, search mindfulness meditation in YouTube or look for an app, Headspace. Uh, there's an app called Headspace, Smiling Minds, Insight Timer, Calm is one that lots of people know. A lot of that stuff is free, so I encourage you 
to, to use that and just explore it. But the other thing, if you know, I would like to repeat, as Prudence did earlier, if this has brought up stuff, if if this ha- if you've if you've um, engaged with this exercise and feeling distressed, please reach out for some support. The lifeline number thirteen eleven fourteen, or those around you that you you know your, your usual supports. Please do that. Rainbow, that's just lovely. Unfortunately, I have to be mindful of the time, so we'll have to stop there. But again, thank you, and we look forward to talking to you next time. Yeah, see you then. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Uh, And hopefully on the phone we've got misdiagnosis. Good morning, Dr. Nick. I'm not sure if I feel like talking about coronavirus again after that wonderful mindfulness session. It's interesting, isn't it, how I feel like I'd just like to carry on for another seven minutes and then hand over to Einstein and Gogo. But we've got you here now. You are on the front line. You're working on the wards. Um, just give us a little COVID update. Where are we up to? How are you going? So I'm, I'm working in emergency at the moment, and it's it's certainly a different atmosphere to being up on the wards I think partly because we now just sort of assume that all we dress is if everybody has coronavirus, whether they've hurt their finger or they're coming in with a cough, we wear the same PPE for everybody. And in a way, I find that slightly more reassuring. It's one less thing to think about. So if but I, I think it must be disconcerting for patients to yeah, see so if I, stuff if, like that. If I'm going to hospital with an ingrained toenail that's hurting, I'm going to be met with someone in full PPE. Yes, that's correct. Well, that would be disconcerting because it's quite a sight, isn't it, when someone looking like a spaceman um, turns up as your healthcare provider. Um, But you've been doing this for some time now. You've been really sort of over the COVID thing. Um, Tell us some of the lighter side of COVID because there must be some fun there somewhere. No, absolutely. I think that's, it's a nice thing to talk about on a Sunday morning. I'd like to share some of the stories of some of those sort of other little bits and pieces that have been happening through the pandemic. And I, I think the first one I'll start with is being dressed up like a spaceman each time. I had a patient the other day to take a look at my name tag that had a photo of me on it from, uh, let's just say, happier times prior to the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic. And he goes, oh, God, is that what you really look like? <laughs> And I'm not quite sure if that was an insult or a compliment or just that I maybe looked a little bit more fresh-faced before the beginning of the year. (laughs) Uh, And I imagine in that photo your skin was looking pretty good, which isn't always the case these days, is it, with a covered in a mask all day long? Oh, God, I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one that's experiencing this new um, mask-ne or mask-acne from uh, wearing these N95s or surgical masks across your face the whole day. Um, And, uh, you know, I found that my... I've actually... As a 29-year-old, I have to go from a, a sort of soap and water skincare regime to things in bottles, and it's been most disconcerting. I have a theory that in years to come, there will be a corona scar, which will be the mark that shows you were a frontline worker through this period, because on the bridge of the nose, there will be this permanent mark from wearing P2 masks um, for <laughs> hours and hours and hours that then leaves a scar on the bridge of the nose. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, I think so. We've actually started wearing protective gear across the bridge of our nose. We go into work and put band-aids and little bits of rubber and things around the bridge of our nose and across your cheekbones as well. 
to stop the digging in of the mask, um, which is, is quite effective, actually. It's quite helpful just to have an extra barrier there. But I'll tell you what, Dr Nick, I've got one more story about um, a really sweet thing that happened the other day. Yes, let's have I a had... sweet thing. We need some sweet things. We've had yeah. hun- we started with honey. <laughs> we can finish with a sweet thing. Give us a sweet thing. <laughs> I had this um, incredibly lovely, quite hearing-impaired patient come into hospital the other day and one of the things we do is often just some brief memory tests just to screen patients to make sure that they're, you know, sort of all with it at the moment. And I ask this, and, you know, normally those are things like, and who's the Prime Minister and what year is it? And I think some of those are a bit unfair because half the time I don't know what the day of the week is or what's going on outside. But sometimes we ask people now, and, you know, what's the big news that's going around at the moment, which, of course, would be coronavirus? And this patient said, oh, it's, it's David. It's David out there and he's everywhere. <laughs> and he had he had heard corona and virus, and he had somehow put it together as David, and, and that's how he referred to the coronavirus. <laughs> I thought it was quite lovely that there's a David running around scaring everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and that thing you said about uh, um, the memory tests, I, I remember this well, because you're absolutely right, the Prime Minister is one. And there was a time in Australia uh, when I was ask, would ask older people about who's the Prime Minister, and of course between the Rudd, Gillard, Rudds and Abbots and so on, uh, Nobody had a clue, and that wasn't an indication they were um, cognitively impaired. <laughs> they just had absolutely no idea. The converse back in the UK uh, was there was a time when you could ask people, well, what year is it? And they'd say, oh, 1832. And you say, who's the prime minister? they go, Margaret Thatcher, because she'd been there for so long, it didn't matter how cognitively impaired <laughs> people were. They all knew it was Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Yes, I think we have to update some of the screening tests. We have another one that asks people, are you less engaged in activities than you used to be? And think, oh, I think we're all a bit less engaged in activities than we used to be. So, so how's it going on the, on the um, front line in the emergency departments? There's been a lot of question about whether it's busier, whether it's quieter, whether you're inundated with people or people are staying away. What, what's the workload? Um, so the workload is, you know, the workload is definitely still there. I think one of the things is that we saw at the beginning was that um, people weren't coming in until they got really quite sick, in which case we had a sort of lull period for a while and then the numbers picked right back up again with really, really sick patients coming in. But the reality is if you have appendicitis, you know, you shouldn't be staying home, you should be coming into hospital. I mean, we are seeing, I guess, um, more injuries with stick blenders and people doing a lot of home cooking and things at home Um, and sort of small cuts when the people are uh, trying to make their culinary masterpieces at home. But the workload is is definitely still there. Right, so the sourdough scalds are keeping you busy, are they? Oh, the sourdough scolds and the avocado hands, yeah. <laughs> well, misdiagnosis, I'm sorry we, we went so mindful that we weren't mindful enough of your time, but thank you very much for coming on and talking to us. Take care on the front line there. Not a problem. It was a delightful mindfulness session. <laughs> well, thank you, misdiagnosis. Um, it's nearly time for us to wrap up here. We just have time to say thank you to our wonderful telephone panellists, Rainbow Doc, misdiagnosis, who you just heard. And first up, we had Prudence Dear. Particular thank you for, to Panel Beater for keeping this whole show on the road and his contributions. I've been Dr Nick. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can check us, check us out on Facebook. You can listen to us anytime with Triple R Radio On Demand. You can always download the podcast. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. 
Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.